0: Welcome to Future Ready, a series that takes you deep into the world of emerging technologies, brought to you by Westpac and hosted by IT News. I'm Brad Howarth. In this episode, we look at the relationship between the traditional businesses that dominate Australia's corporate landscape and the many startups who have emerged to stake their claim. Are they enemies, friends or something in between? Startups are often portrayed as would-be giant slayers, with examples such as Uber and Airbnb commonly used to demonstrate how a good idea with some solid financial backing can shake up an entire industry. But the truth is the vast majority of startups don't succeed and even the best idea is worthless if you can't get anyone to buy into it. Traditional businesses have many of the attributes that startups need to succeed, namely access to customers and deep pockets. So maybe rather than competing, perhaps there might be another path forward. Our first guest has more than 30 years' experience in IT and financial services, and a passion for seeing more young Australians involved in science and technology. His name is Dave Curran, and he is the group CIO for Westpac, and he joins us now on Future Ready. Dave, welcome to the program. Thank you. Now, startups and large corporations are often described as the ultimate frenemies. Now, you work for a large corporate, but if you could go back and create your own startup, what would it be? Oh, that's a really cool question. For me artificial
1: intelligence is the big game changer of the future and right now one of the problems with artificial intelligence is its learning bias as it learns. So if I was creating a startup I'd be creating artificial intelligence without bias. How do we actually take bias out of artificial intelligence to ensure it properly serves rather than just reinforces what we believe?
0: The relationship between startups and large corporations has often been described as challenging and certainly for a long time it looked that the startups would be the giant killers that would come through and change markets. Now we've seen a few examples of that, but more often now we seem to be seeing a symbiotic relationship. What's your view? Yeah, I think very much we
1: are seeing that. It was only five years ago, I work in a bank and it was fintechs so that were going to you know, eat the lunch of, of the big banks. What we're seeing five years later is they very much want to work with the banks. Interesting as well though, the banks very much want to work with them as well. We have similar purposes, we both want to serve customers, we both want to leverage new technologies, but we come from a different perspective. So in some areas we work together very symbiotically, but in other areas we're naturally competing, and I think that's where you use the term frenemies. I think we are seeing that very much coming to the fore.
0: So what is it that you can offer to a startup then, and what can a startup offer to you? Well, I think large industry and large business
1: has history and data and capability. So for example, at Westpac, we're the oldest company in Australia, we're a bank, We deal with massive regulations, massive amounts of capital. That's really hard to actually just create. So we bring that. We have millions of customers. We have history with those customers. That scale and that complexity is very difficult to instantly create. Similarly, though, because of that, we can't be as agile as a startup. We have to keep running our business while we do things. We have many systems, in our case thousands of systems, that are anchored in the history of what we do. So the values in those systems but also the challenges in those
0: systems. And I think that's the big, big issue we're looking at. Traditional businesses didn't get as big as they are overnight though, but we do often hear that startups are very much challenged around the need to scale. Why is that? And how can traditional businesses help them overcome that need to get big quickly? Yeah,
1: I think that's a great question, particularly here in Australia. And one of the challenges in Australia is our market is not that great. So when you're trying to create a startup in this, this country compared to say, for example, United States, the market is not there, so you need to get a much greater percentage of that market to scale. If you're in the United States, you can get a very low market penetration but still create quite a large business. So for us, it's how do we actually create a scale? And in my mind, it's, it's one of three ways. One is you actually have that killer app, the thing that people really want, and that comes along every now and again. Think Uber, think Airbnb, et cetera. The second one is you go international, and how do we create a startup? Um, ecosystem in this country that's linked with business, academia and other things whereby we can get things internationally quickly and make it easy to do so. The third one is when actually business and startups work more closely together to enable that scale and I think that's the real opportunity where you create an ecosystem to create scale. It makes the country more productive but also makes us more competitive on a global scale.
0: So what's your view on the, the state of the current ecosystem then and what needs to change for it to become the one that you're describing here? Yeah, I see positives and negatives in the current
1: ecosystem. Firstly, we came at it quite late, so that immediately put us at a disadvantage. So we had Silicon Valley, we had um, Silicon Roundabout in London, we had uh, Silicon Alley in New York, we had uh, Silicon Wadi in, in Israel. We still don't have a Silicon Watt in Australia, so there's there's an interesting thought. But we were very late to the party. That said, we've come on very well since we've come to the party. We have always been big users of technology. We always take up technology very well and we're very well educated as a country. So what we're seeing is the capability is there. The challenge though is so much of our talent left the country early. How do we start bringing some of that back? How do we bring some of that capital back? How do we apply our capital better? Our capital tends not to be as patient as the capital in Silicon Valley, for example. How do we bring patience to that? And again, that's how do we bring business to the whole ecosystem? So in my mind, we came late, we're going very fast, but we still
0: need to put our shoulder to that wheel. Now, you mentioned that Australia has been big users of technology, and we often talk about ourselves as being early adopters. What benefit do we get from being builders of technology as well? I think it's the creation of industry. I think as we see the world move
1: from a a manufacturing, in our case it was mining and agriculture through manufacturing into a services-based industry, the creation of that industry is really important. And right now, as you look at technology coming towards us, think artificial intelligence, you know, driverless cars, et cetera, et cetera, we can be on the receiving end of that and we, as you said, are a big take-up of new technology. So we will use that. You know, We're a massive user of, of the iPhone and, and Android and Samsung, for example, but we don't actually build that much on it. And in my mind, we have to switch that around where we continue to use it, but we have to be some of the providers of that and we have to put the skills there and build the for want of a better word, the industry, whereby we create careers for for people that are going to be disrupted by this technology. So what would you change then? What would be the barriers that you'd
0: like to tear down in order to enable that?
1: In my mind, the things we have to change is, firstly, we have to stop thinking that we are just a really big country. We're not a really big economy. And so when you look at smaller countries like Israel, like Singapore, who do it particularly well, they realize they have to bring their resources to bear in a collective manner. We still think we're quite a large uh, marketplace and in the new world of technology and interconnectivity, we're not really. So in my mind, this conversation around bringing business and technology, um, startups and businesses together and how we work together is really important. But I'd add the things we need to do with academia and the things we need to do with government and other things as well to actually say, what do we want this industry to grow into and how do we want to make sure it provides jobs and futures for our for our you know, youth of today, and I still think we're letting that just happen in a, in a kind of natural way without actually genuinely putting some real thought and
0: effort into that. So what role does education need to play then?
1: I think education's got a massive role to play. Um, in some ways, education can be somewhat passive. It's what students want to study, and particularly when education's such a large export industry for Australia, it's kind of driven that way. And you know, one of my great frustrations as a CIO in the last 10 to 15 years, we've doubled the number of lawyers we've educated in this country and half the number of technology graduates. That makes no sense to me. And obviously, some of the legal perspective might have a different view to me. And I'm fine, we've doubled the number of lawyers, but we should have doubled the number of technologists as well. So in my mind, education has a massive role to play, but they would then say, we have to create the demand. And I agree with them, and that's where government and business has to come to that system as well.
0: So thinking from a traditional business's perspective, what are the top three things that a traditional business can learn from working with a startup?
1: for me the top three things are one your legacy doesn't determine tomorrow and so often you hear in a large business this is how we do things and so for me the first one we can learn from startups is you can look at the problem differently and what startups do really well is they look at the perspective from the customer or the end consumer back in whereas most large companies start from their capability out what product do I have to sell and how do I sell that So I think that's the first one. I think the second one is learning to fail early. Large institutions don't like failing. I run a very large technology function and a very large bank. And when things break, it's a really bad situation. Whereas in a small startup, when they break, that's just normal. So learning how to fail and putting a system around that failure where we protect the broader ecosystem, I think, is really important. I think that's the second thing we can learn. The third thing is diversity of thought and how people work together. Large corporations and large industries still tends to work in that hierarchical structure that we grew up over in the last couple of centuries, um, which is still very much command and control and hierarchical, which has the, the massive flaw, flaw that the boss is meant to know everything. You know, I'm in a very senior position, therefore I always find it funny when people think oh, I know everything when, you know, that's just false. So I think the other one we can learn from startups is actually Everyone has a point of view, everyone has an idea, and everyone can work together. At any point in time, someone's got the lead. And I think they're the three things we can learn from startups.
0: And finally, what advice would you give to a startup that wants to work with a large organization? The advice I'd give them is we're not
1: actually the big, scary beast you think we are. We can be slow and we can be bureaucratic, but that's because we're big. Um, we recognize that what you bring could be incredibly valuable to our customers, and therefore we appreciate that. But also, we're genuinely passionate about our customers as well. So when you appreciate what we have and we are learning to appreciate what you have, then we have a much better relationship how we're going to bring that to the table. We started poorly five years ago where one was going to take out the other and all the things that went with that. I think we've recognised that was not the best place to start. Um, I think where we are now is we can see where we can grow what we're doing to get a better outcome for both our customers, but more importantly for the economy and the society we work in. Dave Curran, thank you for joining us. My
0: pleasure. Our next guest is well-placed to discuss the relationship between startups and traditional businesses, having worked in both. For the past three years, he has held the role of Chief Executive Officer at Stone & Chalk, Australia's leading fintech innovation hub. His name is Alex Skandura, and he joins us now on Future Ready. Alex, welcome to the program. Thanks, Brad. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, first
2: question, what exactly does Stone & Chalk do? So, great question. Stone & Chalk um, primarily exists to do one thing and that's to help create the leading fintech ecosystem, not just in Australia, but also in Asia. We do that in a pretty unique way by working with, first of all, some of Australia's best fintech startups, as well as a number of uh, international and Australian corporate partners. So, why did you choose to get so deeply involved in the startup community? Since I was a kid, I've, I've always really enjoyed building things and, and making stuff. And it kind of started when I was small playing with Lego. And after that, it, it, it progressed to, um, making, uh, fighter jets and, you know, model planes. And later in life I was in construction, um, making things a lot, lot bigger in scale. But, um, I've got to say at the end of the day, you know, creativity and helping people is, is something that really drives me innately. And working with startups just completely invigorates me every day. Every day is different. Every day is exciting. And at the same time, I get to help you know, our 26 corporate partners completely transform their organizations. Now, there was once a time when startups were described as being the giant
0: killers that come in and disrupt everything and make life difficult for all of the incumbent players. Is that
2: still the case? Look, I think there's always going to be startups that have the potential to disrupt And right now, for a while, we've been looking at uh, blockchain and distributed ledgers as a technology that could disrupt. What we're starting to see a lot more of, especially here in Australia and markets that are similar, like the UK, is where collaboration is starting to be much more uh, a topical thing that we're actually visibly observing. And I think that's great. If you look at the Australian market, uh, it's quite small by global standards and in many industries for example we've got a small number of large organizations that have quite a significant market share if we have a look at banking for example the top 4 have roughly between 80 to 85% market share so for any new entrant uh, even more so a startup it's almost a, an impossible task to to try and dislodge a well entrenched industry and so finding new ways to collaborate and partner as a pathway to scale becomes a potentially much more attractive as well as a much more successful path to achieve that.
0: So if the incumbents have so much market share already, what
2: can a startup actually offer to them? Quite a huge number of different things. Um, you know, if, we, if we look at what's happening around the world today, um, especially with the advent of digitization and automation, um, not only are large organizations fiercely competing with one another, but they're also starting to compete with organizations that are in adjacent industries that are seeing the margins that potentially exist where the grass looks greener and exploring new ways to you know, increase their own product offerings and revenues. And so startups can provide, ultimately in my mind, three things. One is access to phenomenal new innovation that can either help change the way organizations work internally, as well as provide whole new offerings to customers they can move at relative light speed compared to large organizations, given that, frankly, they're pretty much bureaucracy free. Um, And at the same time, the fact that we know that increasingly bright young kids are preferring to work outside of corporate environments, they can provide an incredible um, source of access to top talent. And so conversely, when it comes to uh, the startups in terms of what they can benefit from corporates, for example, then clearly in markets like ours, scale opportunities is the number one thing. You know, the key thing that startups need, you know, everywhere in the world is customer acquisition. And that's something that existing organizations certainly have. And so a wonderful synergy can occur where by helping a large organization either solve some of the problems or explore new opportunities to, to grow their top line, startups can then access their existing customer base or their geographic footprint.
0: Now, you mentioned speed there, that startups do move at a very rapid pace. Traditional organizations tend not to. How do the engagement models work then? How do you
2: bring the two companies together to be able to work in that harmonious way? Yeah, look, that's a great question and is really at the core of what I've seen is the difference between success and failure in these types of partnerships and collaborations. Now, clearly, large organizations, for lots of good reasons, have very robust well-tested procurement processes for how they engage a third party. Um, the, the, the sheer reality is that the vast majority of those requirements aren't simply fit for purpose, if you will, for a very small organisation that simply can't take on the level of risk or liability or provide the indemnities that typically a large organisation would like to have in terms of risk mitigation. And so finding ways to redesign or re-engineer the procurement process to engage successfully f- with small startups and scale ups, for example, is critical in terms of being successful in collaboration in that space.
0: Now clearly the large corporations need to change some of their processes to engage with the smaller companies. Do the smaller companies have the right expectations then of what a large corporate
2: can do for them? Yeah, I think there's a gap there too. Um, and part of what we do at Stone and Chalk is we talk about becoming startup ready for our corporate partners and what that means, both from a mindset and process perspective, but also becoming investor and corporate ready for our startups. And that's very much about having the right amount of awareness in terms of expectations of what the process is going to look like, the time potentially it's going to take. Um, and to also help them prepare for that at the same time.
0: So what's your view on the current state of the startup
2: ecosystem in Australia? Look, right now um, we're still in the very early stages of, I guess, what you could call a startup renaissance here in Australia, um, especially across a multitude of industries, which you could almost argue is been currently led by fintech. Um, having said that, in the last three years we've seen a massive surge in terms of both the breadth and depth of fintech activity that's happening in this country. When Stone & Chalk started less than three years ago, um, the research that KPMG did pretty much show that we had less than 100 startups in the fintech space across the country, which was tiny. Already today, we have well over 500 startups in fintech alone. Um, and that's not considering a lot of the other adjacencies around fintech like cybersecurity, for example, Um, Data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, smart devices and so forth. And so really the momentum has started to swing, but it's quite important that we continue to fuel that fire because if we're not careful, it can quite easily dissipate and we've lost that huge once in a generation opportunity. So if there was one thing that corporates could do to give better support to the startup community, what would it be? In my mind, the number one thing is to be the best customer back to that customer acquisition point, if we think about a couple of factors, one, the fact that um, automation is inevitable and people are gonna be displaced. Then we know that, and this is statistically proven since the 70s, it's startups and scale ups that are the net creators of jobs. And so at a macroeconomic level, it's in Australia's best interests and therefore each individual and each organization's best interests to become a great customer of our startups and scale-ups because they'll be the ones that will be driving the employment and therefore those employed people will be driving the demand for our goods and services domestically in the economy. So that's at a macro level. At a micro level, we can either continue to be consumers of technology or we can look to become co-creators of technology. And given our market here is relatively small, we've got a brilliant opportunity to leverage great talent into great ventures to then start exporting some of that innovation, particularly into the Asian region where we have an exceptional brand reputation as brand Australia and trust associated with the quality of our services, especially when it comes to financial services, for example. Alex Skandura, thank you for your time.
0: for the latest in news, analysis and research on the state of technology in Australia. I'm joined by the Editorial Director at IT News, Stephen Kinnan. Stephen, welcome back to Future Ready. The debate here seems to be between traditionals versus startups, and will one take down the other or will one be squashed by the other seems to be the way that it gets characterised. Is that the best way to look at it? Is that what you are seeing happening out in
3: Australia today, that these groups are at each other's throats? There's certainly a lot of media attention on startup culture. You only have to look at Silicon Valley on HBO, the hit TV show there, to see it's really grabbed mainstream attention, the idea of tech startups. The reality is, even here in Australia, there are many myriad startups who have crept out of every capital city, particularly here in Sydney, in Melbourne, a lot going on in Brisbane as well, and in other far-flung places. Like any small business, the vast majority of them won't become the next Google or Atlassian but it is interesting to keep an eye on who's appearing what they're doing and how we are trying to build that innovation economy of the future that so many Australians would like to see are you seeing many examples then of of large organisations and startups actually working together effectively or is that something that's proving too difficult to make happen they talk about it i mean gartner has this thing that they talk around around the two speed economy and they talk around the mature established organisations that could be big it shops that have waterfall methodology to roll out applications versus Agile, which gets so much attention. And we're talking about potentially smaller projects or potentially startups that are rolling out faster deployment of apps. So you've got this kind of idea of there's a two-speed economy, whether it's in the IT end-user organizations that many of our listeners work for or the startups themselves versus the big Technology vendors out there.
0: I know there is a lot of effort going on amongst some of the larger organisations to bring in
3: practices like Agile to be able to speed up development. Is that working in your eyes? It's definitely happening. I think what we see is that the big, particularly the big IT and technology consultancy firms, realise that they don't always have the secret source that a smaller startup does. And so the typical path is to acquire to get those skills in. The best examples would be companies like Accenture and Deloitte and others, IBM, Telstra, have been really frenetic in acquiring startups. One of the reasons why they do, they're do they buying those is to get those skills, skills in areas like DevOps, cloud, API integration, digital organizations that sit at that intersection between customer experience and technology, have all been on the shopping list for these big organizations.
0: But when they make the acquisition, are you actually seeing these skills
3: retained by those large companies? That's the big question isn't it? And too often what we see is the big organization acquires the smart clever startup, the owners will come in, they'll do their earn out, and the minute that their contract is over, they'll be out the door and they'll take that x factor with them. I don't think big organizations have really worked out the exact way in which to keep those startup those clever people working in a big organization because the thing that drives entrepreneurs to go out and start these cool technology innovators is something that not always can be delivered by working in a corporate job. Now, your magazine,
0: CRN, each year it profiles 50 of the fastest growing technology companies in Australia.
3: What have you learnt through that experience about what the secret to managing high growth is? Well, I've learnt that the companies on the CRN Fast 50 are the shopping list for these big organisations that we've just talked about. Every year, we look back at the year gone by, and half a dozen of the most high-performing organisations, particularly in areas around building their own IP, Agile, DevOps, cloud, API integration, these kind of really sexy areas have been acquired by some of the big organisations that I've just talked about. What about from a customer perspective then?
0: How willing are organisations to purchase goods and
3: services from the startups? Well, this goes back to one of the reasons why these big... consultancies and outsourcers keep buying the smaller organisations. Customers want the clever technology that only smaller startup organisations can offer, but they want to buy from a trusted, established, mature company that they've already got a relationship with. The classic saying was no one was ever fired for buying IBM, right? And while I don't know if that's necessarily holds true anymore, it's certainly the idea that a procurement officer within a big customer really wants to know and trust the organisation they're buying with. That doesn't necessarily apply to every new and myriad small startup that have cropped up. That's really driven organisations like a Deloitte, like an Accenture, to go out and buy that intelligence in so they can still deliver what the customer wants, but do it through that sort of one throat to choke that is the way in which customer organisations want to procure technology products and services.
0: Fantastic. Stephen Keenan, thank you for coming in.
3: Thank you, Brad. That's all for
0: this edition of Future Ready, brought to you by Westpac and hosted by IT News.